0: Hello everyone. Before we get started with this week's episode, we did just want to lead off on a bit of a somber note. On Saturday morning, the Raw community was saddened to hear of the passing of former Raw striker Masato Kudo at age 32. And uh, thoughts of the Brisbane Football Review go out to his friends and family and he remains in our thoughts. Now, onto the show. With your host, James Coblin. It's never a good sign when I'm the one presenting a logical solution, Scott Owen, James, can I just make
1: just one quick point?
0: And Adam Pace.
1: Uh, I'm a male, no.
0: Starting now. And here we are for another episode of the Brisbane Football Review. There is plenty to discuss this week. Scott, it's just you and I once again while Adam is in Malta, I'm pretty sure I just saw on his socials.
1: Uh, Malta and Italy, he was at the San Siro at the weekend. Just a, a slight bit of jealousy around that. was Looked a good atmosphere over there.
0: Yeah, I am quite jealous that he's going to the San Siro before it's getting knocked down for some like massive concrete bowl or whatever it's going to turn into. But uh, yeah, either way, good news, folks. You've still got Scott and I to recap the draw with Western Sydney Wanderers and a couple of the bits of uh, news that have come out from the Raw and the wider A-Leagues over the last week. But uh, yeah...
1: So just before we get into I do want to echo the thoughts that you expressed off the our top there, James, in terms of with Masato Kudo thoughts and prayers out to his family and friends. Absolutely shocking news that came out over the weekend. And you can see as we get into the Western Sydney game, it was certainly front of mind for the players and coaching staff on Saturday afternoon.
0: Yeah, well, it's not quite the segue I was going for into the Western Sydney game, but it is a worthwhile point to lead off with where this was a guy who two years ago was their teammate. So it's like there were plenty of people who were like clearly very heavily affected by it, and you can see with the players how highly they rated him as a teammate. And yeah, like taking the result out of it as well, it would have taken an awful lot of mental strength to just get themselves up and play a game of football.
1: Yeah, I haven't done the numbers on it, but you'd imagine at least half of this Brisbane Raw squad would have been a teammate of. Masato Kudo in his time here at the Raw and he was very clearly, as you heard Warren Moon and on the coverage on Saturday, a very good teammate, a good professional really well liked around the change in 14 games for the Raw scored in that game away to the Central Coast Mariners, really nice finish he, he, he may not have worked necessarily here but he was clearly a very good teammate and he went back to Japan and kept continuing on his career and unfortunately these tragic circumstances of the last week have had a big impact on a lot of people including here in the Brisbane football community where he he did have some very good connections. Yeah,
0: and a remarkable impact as well. And I I don't want to rehash, you know, the COVID times and everything, but it does feel like in that time where players were, you know, told to try and steer clear of direct interactions with fans and everything, it would have been really hard. Well, most fans had actually abided by those rules. Um, It would have been really hard to, you know, try and... Let the fans get to know you as a person as well. But it sounds like he did a really good job, and his memory will certainly uh, stick around here in Southeast Queensland and uh, to his other clubs as well, including including the Vancouver Whitecaps. I swear I can talk this afternoon.
1: It's not the Canucks they're the Ice Hockey Team, James. But he also did play for the Japanese national team as well on a couple of occasions. So he's he had a very good career, and unfortunately it came to an end far too soon.
0: Yes, it did. All right. Let's get on to the game. It was a 1 1 draw for the Raw's second point of the season. And, well, the leading question I want to uh, ask you first, Scott, will be is it a good point or two dropped considering the way the match unfolded?
1: Uh, given the way the match unfolded, I think it's actually a good point. The first five minutes was absolutely crazy, it wasn't it? The Raw probably could, could have been an argument, should have been. 2-0 in front, I'm sure the first one, first chance there, Charlie Austin would have certainly liked to have done better with that if he had his time over once again, the second was a little bit unlucky with Joe Knowles hitting the outside of the post, if he hits the inside of the post that probably would have would have squirmed over the line somehow, but they started really well and then they completely threw the goal away, didn't they, to, to Weston City with that simple through ball down the middle, which I'm sure the defenders are still far from pleased with their own performance on that one, but it was a chaotic start. And the rest of the first half was a bit flat, but the way they were all built into the second half, I thought they actually played really well in the second half and were worth the point. So I think the, it's a good point. We'll probably get into some of the controversy in a minute, but I think on the whole, to look at it, given what happened the week before, you wanted to bounce back. They got that, and I think the point's not a bad result.
0: Yeah, I feel like overall you can be happy with the point prior to the season this was a game that I had earmarked as a probable win for the Raw just because I also didn't really rate the Wanderers who might turn out to be a lot better than expected so again that is how circumstances on the ground change and some may say why the only time to evaluate the difficulty of a fixture list is right at the end of the season however yeah I thought that was a game where other teams you know whether it be previous editions of the Raw or other uh, clubs where they dominate the first five minutes, have a couple of clear chances, and then give up the most direct of goals. Uh, to go down what eleven minutes into the game—that's the sort of t- uh, match where you could very easily see heads drop before. But right away, the raw just went okay. No, not this time. Where you know finding a way to rally, got themselves to halftime down one nil. Which again, considering the balance of play, take out the first five minutes and probably was about right the Wanderers may feel like they should have done more with their period of dominance but entered the second half and it was Joe Knowles and Charlie Austin combining for the link up
1: yes we've seen that combination a couple of times now in the first few weeks where it hasn't quite come off between the two of them it was good to see that impact finally that uh, combination finally have an impact really good play from Joe Knowles down that right hand so I just it up to Charlie Austin who probably didn't make the best of contact with the strike games it's fair to say it wasn't exactly what he was hoping for but They all count, don't they? And to get the first one for him in the league will give him tremendous confidence and just allow him now to be a bit freer and get on with it. But it wasn't the most clinical of finishes, but they all count.
0: Okay, this is where I am going to disagree with you a little bit because I think if he gets clean contact uh, on that ball, it's saved. So I kind of think maybe not having the uh, laces going through the ball is what allowed it to just sort of roll into that bottom corner probably not one for the highlight reel outside of the fact that it is Charlie Austin's first league goal for the Raw, but either way, I think we're not at the point where we can be picky about the nature of goals scored.
1: No, after two and a half games without a, without a goal, you take him any way you can get.
0: Yeah, pretty much, which take it any way you can get is, I think, the summary of how both of us played Stryker. Yes. Yeah, pretty basically,
1: much. Basically, Five uh, goals in a 10-year junior career, I'll definitely take them anywhere I can get them.
0: Yeah, I think my best season was five in about 20 games.
1: You were going far better than I was. I was
0: not an aerial threat. I will make that very clear from the start. (laughs) Anyway, the reason I ask if it was two points uh, dropped, though, is the Roy had the ball in the back of the net twice after that. Neither of them stood, however. The first one was ruled out for offside. It was the tightest of tight calls. And to be honest... I'm not upset with... And the second one was also ruled out for another positional infringement. Yep. Personally, I'm not too upset with either of those goals not uh, being allowed to stand by the letter of the law. The first one uh, was Scott Neville, I think, who was deemed to have interfered with play in an offside position, which is all well and good. And, but I think it was actually VAR being used correctly. I think if that had been called a goal live, it would have stood. I don't think there was enough evidence either way to say he was clearly offside or clearly onside. That's just how I kind of land on it, and we'll stick on the first goal for this one. Scott, what was your take on it?
1: Uh, I think um, it's impossible to know whether it was right or wrong because I think it was that tight. Whichever way the referee went is the way that it was always going to stand. It was never going to be any clear evidence that said it was one way or the other, particularly given how tight that onside offside decision was. It was so close that I can accept the decision in a way of, right, if that's what the referees saw it as, I can accept that. What I just can't accept is why it took three and a half minutes to get to that conclusion. I've gone off on this rant before, but it takes too long. Three and a half minutes for something which was always a subjective decision, there was never going to be any clear or obvious overall of it. I think it could have been done a bit quicker than that. It was a bit farcical how long it turned out taking, and ultimately that was my biggest takeaway from it is this takes way too long.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't the only VAR controversy this weekend but um, I feel like like there needs to be someone in the booth and look, this can be, you know, a high school student on what is it, 22 bucks an hour now for the minimum wage? Their job is just to sit there for the two hours of every game with a stopwatch and if they're still debating it after 90 seconds go, hey guys, it's not clear and obvious let's keep going.
1: Yeah, I wish the minimum wage was $22 now when I was on minimum wage. Oh, yeah. A pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. Like, or, but my
0: point is, like, you don't need, like, it doesn't even have to be a football fan sitting in there. Just get someone with a stopwatch. They don't even have to be watching the screen. They just need to know that if after 90 seconds or 60 or whatever time frame you want to put on it, mm. after 90 seconds, if you're still not sure, it's not clear and obvious, let's keep it moving. Like, exactly. Just, just bring in someone for that role it's
1: not there to re referee the game it's supposed to be there to cut out the um, howlers And we might talk about the um, overall weekend in a minute but that was clearly not a howler either way
0: yes and what also wasn't a howler although it was horrendously frustrating um, was the decision to rule out the J.O. Shea free kick
1: yeah it was a J.O. Shea free kick and yeah. I have to confess here James I actually was not aware that this was even a rule you had to explain it to me in our group chat on that, because so I was, I was getting a bit frustrated at this point that this was not. You were yeah, going off. Goal. Yeah, you... <laughs> I, yes, I was. I did not. I was not aware that this rule existed, where if you were, if you were near the wall and interfere with the wall slightly as an attacking player, it was a judge to foul. I was not aware that that was even a thing. But apparently, it's been a rule since 2019. You were saying, James. Something so like that. By the yeah. letter of the law, that also is is an infringement. So. Well, look There's not my If it's if it's in the rule book, that's the rule. But I personally wasn't aware. Of it. I'm not sure how many fans would have been aware. Because of how often have you seen attacking players on the end of a wall, trying to impact things in a certain way, and nothing get given? So I, to be honest, I was a bit confused by it. But that's the rule.
0: Well, if it makes you feel any better, based on his post-game uh, press conference, Warren Moon wasn't aware of the rule either. Which, yeah, okay. Uh, The point I want to make on it as well... So, you weren't the only one I had to explain this to. In fact, if you uh, were messaging me over the weekend asking why that goal was uh, disallowed, you may have gotten a copy-paste response because it was just easier um, than just trying to uh, rehash it, uh, retype it out all the time. But my understanding is that rule was brought in, I want to say, for the 2019-2020 season... Because clubs were complaining about, I want to say, Barcelona uh, or possibly Bayern Munich were the chief uh, perpetrators of this. Where, like, Leo Messi would be lining up a free kick. And they would put, like, Gerard Piquet or whoever as the on the end of the wall. And their job would just be, as the free kick was taken, to just lean into the wall and push it aside to clear a space for the free kick to be curled around. And, again, like... I'm not saying Barca and Bayern were the only ones that did it. It was common practice, you know. It's a copycat. Barca
1: would never do anything dodgy, would they? Not Barcelona. No.
0: Either. Yeah, <laughs> but I kind, I kind of, yeah, I kind of understand the theory behind the rule. It's basically just to try and speed up free kicks. Because how many times do you remember the referee like trying to ex- like stop the pushing and shoving when a team, when the attacking team would place a player on the very end of the wall. And they would just be leaning into it to try and create just an alley for the ball to go through. And the, and this was actually part of a uh, another rule designed to speed up free kicks where the referee is within their rights to just mark out the 10 paces and put the shaving cream down. And then the onus is on the wall to retreat to that distance rather than the referee pushing the wall back, having them try to steal an extra uh, step or two here and there. It basically is designed to try and speed up free kicks. Now, the reason you don't see this uh, these free kicks awarded generally, uh, just purely my understanding of it, um, is usually the referee... It's designed as a pre-free kick uh, infringement more often than not. So normally, once a free kick is taken... However, if you grab the still frame, you can actually see where... Uh, I think it was Connor Chapman, was within that one metre buffer zone. So, I, I understand the frustration. I hated the rule too, but again, as soon as I saw what it was called for, I was like, okay, that... like I hate it, but I can accept it.
1: Yeah, there was no VAR on that one either, was there? It was just a straight-up referee decision.
0: Yeah, there didn't need to be yeah. VAR, because
1: I think he actually...
0: I think, again, I could be misremembering, but... I'm pretty sure if you go back and watch it, you can see the referee whose name is escaping me. Um, like, he was already going to signal it as the free kick was being struck. So... Yeah.
1: I can't remember that far back, but...
0: Yeah, it was one of those things where, again, it was officiated by the letter, the law. Maybe you could have argued that a common sense application of it uh, would suggest that because Chapman was running behind the wall and not actually interfering with play you could have let it slide but I think there may have been some contact as well yeah. I don't know but
1: I think if you'd let it slide the VAR probably would have had a look at it because they would just certainly know that rule so that probably would have been another VAR stoppage and just on' well, well, on this tangent I noticed last week they put out the audio of the the Jordan LC Newcastle Adelaide decision James. And, they, and that was a very clear and obvious VAR decision. I'd actually like to see some of the ones in this weekend which were less clear and obvious and get those explanations completely out there and transparent, particularly the um, adelaide Ibasuki. Sydney one. Yes. I'd love to know what the decision was behind that, but I think if they're going to put VAR decisions out in public, they should put ones out there, all of them out they're not just the ones that make them look good. Look, That's I, just my little thought on that.
0: I would love to start one of those useless change.org petitions to uh, FIFA to get them to allow... The VAR audio to be broadcast live because that I'm pretty sure that's something that has been campaigned for since, like I want to say 2016 on, or on Fox or something. Like they wanted to broadcast referee audio, and this is even pre-VAR. I've
1: got a better idea. We've got Adam in Europe at the moment. Why don't we just get him to go and deliver things in the old school FIFA manner to them and get the get a change brought through? <laughs> Bit of a what the old brown paper bags? Isn't that how FIFA works allegedly? Back in the day?
0: I think we missed his uh, trip to the FIFA Museum where he could do that.
1: I think we can still over in Europe. He's not far away.
0: We'll see if he's got the brown paper bag... uh, Photos of brown paper bag exhibit, though. uh, With the Qatari flag on it. Anyway. we'll uh, Back to the
1: game before we get ourselves in even more trouble.
0: (sighs) Doesn't really matter now. (laughs) So, yeah. Overall, good point against a team that might be better than we thought. Could have very easily been three points, but... They'll just have to uh, try again this weekend and we'll preview that game against victory coming up a little bit later on and we will wrap up with our now weekly 321 player of the season votes and I guess since Adam isn't here, we'll go back to my turn for the 321 votes and I will uh, give my three points Joe Knowles, two points Jordan Holmes and one point Jack Hod. I thought Hod had a nice little bounce back after being a halftime sub against Melbourne City.
1: He did, and just on Jordan Holmes as well, he's really starting to look like he belongs at this level now, isn't he? There was questions about what sort of role he would play at the Raw, but he's come in and been a starter since he's been available, basically, he wasn't available for the Australia Cup campaign, given he was Cup-tied, but for the league games where he's been available, he's been for, he's been first choice next to Charlie Austin, and he's had a really good impact, hasn't he? Those, that combination, you know, we spoke about last week on the show, of what's the best option for the Raw, should they go to a, a, a three with wingers or stick with the two up front in a tandem. And that combination on on Saturday really started to really flourish in terms of we're starting to see that connection between those two guys up front. And it's that combination, you can see where there is going to be a threat there now between those two, which we probably didn't see against Melbourne City. Maybe it's City are are a vastly better side than what we saw with the Wanderers, but that combination is starting to really show itself now.
0: Yeah, and I think the A-League social account had this really good video from back up in Townsville in July. Where you could see Austin just working with Knowles about positioning and where to play the ball for uh, the runs and whatnot. So it is good to see that sort of stuff uh, taking place as well.
1: Yes, and there was another video with Charlie Austin which came out public on the A League socials in the last week, wasn't there? The Knowles one was a little bit more
0: family normal, friendly,
1: um, sedate, shall we say.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a fantastic segue, Scott. Have you been uh, podcasting for about seven years now?
1: I've been practicing them on the weekend show, not quite as good as that, unfortunately.
0: I really should listen to that at some stage.
1: Yeah, people should.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, yeah, so we'll uh, go into what premiered last Thursday night, which is A-League's All Access Episode 2, and it featured Charlie Austin playing his second uh, A-League's home game with the Raw for that Friday night, not great, uh, show against Melbourne City, but I thought it was, like, this is just been a really good addition to your A-League's viewing this season as well where like my biggest c- uh, question over it was how were they going to go when things weren't all sunshine and roses As my dog decides to uh, tr- uh, chime in as well I think she was a big fan of it but yeah I-, I was genuinely worried like you had the Nani one that was great that was going like, and they had the big win over Sydney FC in that one how are they going to handle things when they didn't showcase "Quote unquote, the best of uh, the club," and I think it's a really good sign that they just had they had the cameras in there and just said, "No, nah, you know what? We're airing it." Yeah. And I get, I, I don't have a problem with Charlie Austin's um, I don't want to call it a tantrum, but Charlie Austin losing his mind at uh, Connor Chapman in that game and Scott Neville chiming in on it too. It's a competitive industry. You get these players that are going to come in and say, "May like they're really going to expect the best from everybody. And I think it's a really good sign as well that Austin was coming in and saying, "Like I know what I'm here for. I'm here to win, I'm here to play well, and I'm here to leave an impact.
1: Yeah, I think these, these A-League Access things are becoming must-watch for A-League fans. It doesn't matter what your club affiliation is. The Nani one, even as a, a Brisbane fan, was absolutely superb. I'm sure the Kisnorbo one coming out this week will also be really good around his stuff at Melbourne City, so it doesn't matter what club you support, these are absolutely must-see, and the Brisbane one was really good as well, wasn't it? Look, the stuff with Charlie Austin and Connor Chapman, I get it, the frustration was there, and I think it was, it's not something that's never happened for us, it's not like, oh, we've ne- it's never happened, we know this happens all the time. In, it happens
0: on in the pro- pitch sometimes.
1: In, on the field, and in professional sports, and also in semi-professional sport, and even in mm. junior sport, I had a couple of these in some of my changes back in that half-time. Hang so on, hang on, exactly, hang on.
0: Were you the one yeah, getting yelled at or doing the yelling?
1: I was way too quiet to do the yelling, I'll leave it at that. But <laughs> it's not uncommon this put that way to have two teammates having a bit of disagreement on the way things have gone in the changes at half-time or at full-time. So it's not, that's not unusual. The stuff that I actually found more interesting was the little snippets with the coaching staff and the things that they were looking for and pinpointing about the way City played and the way they thought the game was going to pan out and having it and that, and it almost like the first goal. Remember when the Graham Harvey's on there giving the little 15 second spiel about the set pieces, and they like to float them all to the back post, and that's where the first goal came from. Yeah, that yeah, was the great. Things that I take out of it more than more than the headline shouting match between Austin and Chapman.
0: Yeah, and it also shows just how much film study actually goes into playing at this level as well. Like again, from my main point of comparison, I look at the NFL, and I know like those guys like i think 50 percent of their prep for a game is film study learning tendencies and all that but there's a lot of breaking down of game footage that goes on in football as well and i think it really is interesting just how regimented some of this stuff is like knowing at corners all right you've got to defend this this is your job xyz and i thought like it was really good to see and i think the big advantage of Doing it this way compared to the All or Nothing series on Amazon or Drive to Survive the F1 stuff, we're getting it as it happens. Like that Charlie Austin thing came out six days after the game, I want to say. Yeah, six Friday days.
1: Friday they were having that as a teaser on the Wednesday.
0: Yeah. So there is a lot, like, there is a really quick turnaround. So a lot of the stuff that is happening is fresh in your mind. And I think that's going to be the biggest help of it all is we're not thinking oh that's right i remember this game where this happened and again just like for a reference point still far and away the best moment for me of the inside the change rooms um docuseries came from the all or nothing 2016 los angeles rams when they had jeff fisher the head coach getting fired and they had to handle that with like Pretty decent delicacy and whatnot. But that season, I think, was really interesting. But there was so much stuff that you just forget about. This time around, yeah, no. yeah. yeah This time That's around, it. you're seeing it as it happens. And oh, there's a lot more stuff at the forefront of your mind. Like, I remember those little plays where, you know, they gave away the corner for the first goal. Or uh, the conversation we were having in the media box when they gave away the penalty. It was like, yeah, it, it was a penalty.
1: Exactly, that was clear. The thing is, given it's basically, not necessarily as it happened, but very, very close by, there's obviously certain things that the cameras just cannot pick up and show. So, well, there were only small snippets of those sort of things in the background that could be could be aired, and you could see it was very heavily edited to, to uh, make sure that nothing in terms of future game plans and future ideas that the Raw were going to use was even remotely included. So, obviously, it's slightly edited, but those little snippets that you see there with the Graham Harvey outlining City's approach to set pieces... That's the sort of stuff I take more interest in because it shows the sort of de- level of detail that that clubs use, James, in terms of preparation, and that's the sort of stuff that fans don't normally get to see. And I think that's that's far more interesting in terms of a development of what giving fans that insight, that extra access. That's far more interesting to me than the um, the headline stuff with Chapman and and um Austin. I'm also very interested in this week. This one actually as well with um. Patrick Kisnorbo, getting a coach's perspective on all this a lot of things. So that'll be very interesting to see what happens. It's a great addition, and I'm looking forward to continuing all year long. I wonder if Brisbane will get another one, actually, at some point. They will. Towards you'd imagine at some point they'll have A-League Women's one as well, and you imagine maybe Katrina Gorey emerges on that. But we could see an additional one at some point with Brisbane featuring.
0: I, I Okay, two things on that. Firstly, the editing. I would love to know what was vetoed. Because there, I reckon, that, yeah, there would have been a couple of clips there that whoever was producing it would have said, "This is gold," and and I think this will happen every single week. Like, I'd love to know what the victory uh, said. No, we can't run this from episode one. S-
1: anything, anything tactical, I imagine, would be straight off limits.
0: Yeah, but um, actually, I've got three things. The second one is, uh, I think, the quote of the uh, or quotes from the Charlie Austin one. Just defend, just defend. And the response from the defender is going, well, you're a striker, score a goal.
1: (laughs) That's very simple.
0: Yeah. Um, And thirdly, I think it was great to see just how much there was... um, Yeah, I I think it's just great to see uh, how much control... I would love to know how much control there was between the two of them. Anyway... Uh, there was also another story that we want to touch on this week with the National 2nd Division. A little bit of a development, but not really a whole lot, considering that it wasn't all that much to do with Football Australia, more so the clubs who may be looking for entry into that, Scott.
1: Yes, they have a format now. They have decided it's going to be a full home and away season. Kicking Thank off God. In two, absolutely. Kicking off in 2024. So we have format and we have the start date, as Trixie reminds me, it was in 2024. <laughs> but... But though we have those, is what we don't have yet is the funding model, the actual costs and the club's participating and how those are decided. So there's still some pretty big hurdles to clear in this, James, but at least they've figured out one step.
0: Yeah, and that that's a step in the right direction. It has to be full home and away season. And again, for all the complaints about the A-League having an unbalanced fixture list, blame the Asian Football Confederation because, again, when they played each other three times... Everyone said it was boring seeing those games over and over again. When they play each other twice, they don't have enough to qualify for Asian competition. So, make of that what you will. It's just the way it is. And, you know, what I also want to not see is A-League expansion. Get it to 14 teams, then you can just have full home and away. But back to the second division. You're right, there is still a lot that needs to be solved. We've heard that there is some reluctance amongst the Queensland clubs... But they need to make sure that it is a national competition. If you've got a twelve-team competition where ten of them are coming from New South Wales or Victoria, it's just not going to work.
1: It is. That's what I'm very. It's more the who gets in. I think is the one that I'm more interested in. The The funding model is something that they need to, as a group, working group, come up with something that they're all comfortable with and that they can actually achieve. And as long as they can achieve it, I can live with it it's who gets into it that's more interesting to me it's got, it's got to be a national thing and good, interesting thing was they did say they had representatives from the 13 biggest cities in Australia so they are clearly aware of the fact that they need a national footprint with the second division it can't just be all the old Sydney and Melbourne clubs forcing their way into it so they've been very interesting because I still think at the end of the day when this comes down to it all those clubs are going to want to be in there's going to be 30, 40, 50 clubs making a strong case they should be in and who has to make that final decision well it'll be fo- it'll what, be it would, football- I wouldn't want to make that decision because it would be it'd be annoying and upsetting a lot of a lot of big clubs
0: well it will be football australia making that decision like as much as the aafc can campaign and all that they can ultimately only make suggestions so let's not pretend that they've got the power in this situation they they're the uh, big big decision makers and power brokers here all they can do is suggest. And that's all they're really going to be able to offer. But, And it will come down to Football Australia's decision. What For me, whether it's 12, 14, or 16, you almost need to treat it a little bit like the NFL playoffs model. We say, all right, the best bid from our preferred region. So let's say New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia, WA... So SACT SA, SA, and Tas in Tasmania, yeah. So that you got eight eight clubs there, one from each region, or wow. at least capital city region.
1: Yep, and then the next best.
0: Yeah, whether it's you know your wow. next best are three Melbourne, three Sydney, and a regional Queensland representative. Yep. That's how. That's what you need to do for me. And as for funding, maybe if they can find. Better commercial deals. Which let's let's be honest, the A League has commercial deals. They're doing what they can for it, but I don't think that the revenue in the early days of the NSD are, is going to find a way to surpass what they've got in the A League. It just doesn't seem likely. However, you would hope that they find the right broadcasting deal.
1: I'm not going to get into any of that, but I will say there were five Queensland clubs on the on this panel. So it was Peninsula Power, the two Gold Coast clubs. Wynn and Wolves and Sunshine Coast Fire, I think, were the five clubs from Queensland who are part of this working community. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the teams that enter the second division. They're just the ones who are on the steering panel to try and outline the actual format of what this league looks like. The actual clubs who participate could come from that working group or could come from a wider, the wider pool of clubs as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean that those five are in line to be in it, but they are just the clubs who are orchestrating the way this league is going to be built.
0: If I'm coming up with my list of clubs that should be involved, or I think are, like should be involved from Queensland, I there's at least four or five missing just from Brisbane. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. And also, let's not forget that there is noise coming from the Gold Coast about a bid for a A-League licence. Yep. Like, we've seen it come up here and there. Gold Coast United definitely uh, have ambitions to get back to the A League. I think they even had it on the front of their shirts at one point in twenty twenty one. Gold Coast for the A League,
1: or Gold Coast United shirts, you mean?
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going. I think there is going to be a push for a Gold Coast team in the A League, and you never know. There could be a situation where clubs might look to find their A League license and try and uh, get an NSD bid up as well, Scott.
1: Before we move on, James, so they're starting in 2024, this National Second Division. Can you see A-League expansion before then? Because I cannot. No. Nah. I think I think if there was going to be A-League expansion by then, we would have already heard about it. So I think the next of round A-League expansion is going to be beyond that, which means either maybe it's promotion out of that league or maybe it's teams getting elevated in outside of that. I'll have to wait and see, but I don't think it's going to be A-League expansion before the Second Division kicks off, assuming their 2024 start date turns out to be the actual start date.
0: No, well, on A-League expansion, for me, I look, the impatient part of me wants two more teams in for next season. Like, pick Wollongong, pick Canberra, Tasmania, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Adelaide, Perth, just pick somebody. I just want to... I do want to get that up and running sooner rather than later, but I feel like the earliest we're going to see it now will be the 2024-25 20, A-League season. However... Surely the smart thing to do would be to try and find a way to work with Football Australia in this process, considering they do still handle the club licences, as we've heard in a couple of Raw stories to come out in the past week. uh, Maybe you just think about trying to put that all together and say, all right, uh, you're bidding for either a second division slot, an A-League slot, or both. And the two two best bids that aren't from Sydney or Melbourne will get a spot in the A-League. That, that yeah. to me, seems a way to do it. And then you've got the likes of, you know, Apia Leichhardt, uh, Melbourne Knights, etc. If they want to get into the second division, bring it on.
1: As long as it's not a broadcaster-induced decision like the um, last one was, we saw the results of that on the weekend, and it was um, not, not great. pretty.
0: No. Uh, A-League average crowds, I think they're hovering just below 10,000 so if they can get those average crowds up to about 12,000 to 15,000 this year considering the various capacities of all the clubs I'm calling that a massive win anyway and
1: the scenes from Saturday night in the derby down in Melbourne were absolutely oh, superb and that, that should was great hopefully see both those clubs get an uptick in their regular attendance outside of derbies as well so that was absolutely superb and we need more of it hopefully the Sydney derby in a couple of weeks time delivers equally
0: yeah, and that is also the nice reminder of like, you, ne- you need to make sure that the people who are going to the A-League are the fans that will come back week after week it's all well and good giving away free tickets to people who are happy to go for the sake of saying they went but you need, you need to make sure that the people that you're trying to get a- along are the ones that know like, with all due respect to the efforts of Paramount, football is better in person, whether you're playing, watching, commentating, whatever. It is better in person at the ground, and you just cannot beat being there. So, yeah. Speaking of being there, we're go- both going to be there on Saturday when they're all taking on, on uh, Melbourne Victory, right?
1: Uh, yes, I believe so. Perfect. Hopefully. <coughs> but Saturday so afternoon up at Dolphin Stadium. Yep. Mid-afternoon kickoff in the heat should be a very interesting clash.
0: Exactly, and uh, we will preview that in a second. But first, we do want to... Uh, mentioned the story that came out i want to say
1: monday it yeah, did come- monday morning it came out from the gold coast sports
0: yes uh, where the gold coast suns are chasing up uh, some unpaid rent from the raw allegedly and uh look now nat- naturally a bit of a frustrated uh fan base was uh happy to leap on the sorry i'm just trying to open up the uh document yeah Gold Coast under- yeah. chairman. The
1: fanbase has seen this all before, haven't they, in terms of allegations about unpaid rent or unpaid this, and I think they've just seen it and think, oh, here we go again, type of thing, and it seems like maybe there may be a bit more to this than that initial story hinted at, shall we say. Yes,
0: and that is also why, as a show, we made the collective decision to not join the pylon, because... It was a very one-sided report. And look, I'm going to sound like a pretentious wanker when I say this, but I've got a master's in journalism. I can tell when there's a story being written from a very one-sided perspective. It's not that hard to work out. And it's also uh, no accident that there weren't a, there wasn't a whole lot of um, comments from the accused party here. So yeah. so basically, if you're not aware of the story, Gold Coast Sons apparently claimed that the uh, deal they had with the raw to rent training facilities um, n- they knew it was a load of rubbish entered it into it anyway because apparently that's what they do when they're bleeding millions of dollars every year and apparently the deal to relocate Bruce the raws training and operations to the Gold Coast has fallen through leaving the club nearly 60,000 out of pocket in outstanding rent uh, it yeah it just it doesn't it, it doesn't add up training me.
1: at CUSAC basically isn't it and, and given a, a large percentage of the Raw fan base have been bemoaning the fact for a year that they're the Brisbane Raw playing in regular training on the Gold Coast now they're back training in Brisbane so in, in effect it's actually a win for people in terms of they are now training back in Brisbane on a daily basis for whatever days worth at CUSAC I'm actually surprised CUSAC hasn't been a more regular training venue for the Raw on the men's side anyway given the facility that they have there with the gym and all the rest of it there's it's actually pretty well set up to house a professional sporting team i know the League like women's side do train there as well but it, I th- I, there's obviously room for both on there at that venue but i just on this one look i don't know what to make of it because it was a very one-sided story it did have com- comments been,
0: from the roar in there as yeah, well there i will clarify enough,
1: that hasn't been enough to say what's gone on there on that one and like with a lot of these things, I'm kind of just waiting to see how it all pans out. But I can understand the fan base's initial reaction of, here we go again, given the events that we've spoken about the last couple of weeks, and also years gone by where things haven't necessarily been... haven't been the way you would want them to be. So I can understand that, but on this one, it, there may be a bit more to it.
0: Yeah. Just like I said with the Academy staff last week, I can understand not wanting to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's completely understandable. However, as is the case now with a lot of reporting, there is a a determination to get a story out there. And look, it's a broken system where uh, news outlets are reliant on traffic and clicks. So you've got to try and dress it up as best as you can to try and get everything, to try and justify your advertising revenue. And being
1: first as well helps as well.
0: Yes. Uh, Yes, well there's a joke from uh the dan patrick show in the u.s first and right is still first
1: exactly well first
0: and wrong is still first exactly um however yeah this was uh the response to the gold coast bulletin uh by the raw made that we made no decision nor have we made any announcement concerning our training base the gold coast sports precinct training field is hired on a when used basis and is currently not available for a period of two months due to maintenance Unfortunately, due to the maintenance of the football field and other related venue hire for cricket, there are no facilities for Brisbane order to train on the Gold Coast Sports Precinct. In the past, backup training fields have been rented from the Gold Coast Suns. On October 6, 2022, the Gold Coast Suns sent an invoice for $11,280 and one cent. Uh,
1: Don't forget that one cent. That's vital.
0: After which, a breakdown of costs was requested, which was uh, on the 21st of October, 2022... The raw received an email from the Gold Coast Suns where the cost breakdown was provided. The invoice is being processed for payment. So, yeah.
1: that was the that was the raw statement, wasn't it? Which the RSF actually published. Yeah. So good, on, good, good for the Monday RSF night.
0: getting that out there as yeah. quick as possible.
1: And apparently that was sent to the paper in time to be presented as the raw's response, and it wasn't and included. in There were there story, were quotes from a, that in there. It's a whole separate story.
0: There were quotes from that in there. Uh, it was. Yeah, Uh, the first three lines were, or first four lines, uh, first half of that statement, actually, is what was included. No decision about the training base through to backup training fields have been rented from the Suns, and confirming that the invoice was received, but no clarification beyond that. So.
1: Hopefully all this mess can be sorted out sooner rather than later. Yeah. We We can stop talking about it on this show, because I think we're getting tired of talking about it, and I think the fan base is getting sick of hearing about it yes so hopefully we can hear the end of this sort of stuff soon
0: yeah but again it like we've had discussions about this to me it feels like there's clearly more to it than what's been reported what that is exactly i don't know because there's only so much that we can find out and even less that we can broadcast but i don't think this is necessarily like we're not we're not trying to carry the rules water here like that's the first and foremost thing i want to clarify all all we're doing is trying to at least give a bit more of the educated analysis of it yeah. so that's what we're going to say um marco uh has a story up uh it sounds like he's uh been chatting with ante Kovacevic, the new general manager of the raws football department and it says uh the lead of this one Brisbane raw's new management team will give be given every chance by Football Australia to rebuild the club and meet the necessary requirements to keep its A-League licence. Um, the key ta- the key line from this story, uh, you can read it on news.com. I'm sure Marco will be sharing that out as well. Um, in doing away with its academy, Adelaide United is following the FA... Oh, the RAW is following the FA-approved model of Adelaide United, which is very similar to what we were discussing last week. So I would just like to take a little bit of a victory lap on that.
1: You take a victory lap and we did say last week we did think even Arthur Kovacevic's links to Adelaide, that was probably something I that was going to, to happen. It's interesting that they're not necessarily going to be partnering with Football Queensland on that. It's going to be with partner clubs in terms of building relationships with those clubs in particular. We're not sure who those are at the moment. I mean, that may come out in future weeks. It may not. We'll have to wait and see, but it's not necessarily going to be a direct link with Football Queensland. The Adelaide United model, I think, is a direct link with Football Federation South Australia, So that's a slight difference in the way the two academy processes will be run. I'm not sure it'll result in anything different, but it is just a slight difference in the way they are run. And the other thing you mentioned off the top there, the management team of Matt Smith, Anteke Vajic and Rizko they're going to get the chance to try and sort out some of this other stuff. I think that's... It's only fair that they get given a chance to do that. Yes. In terms of they've only just taken over this job. A lot of this stuff's probably been thrust upon them they've got the chance to try and sort through it and there's probably a lot that they need to do and we wish them all the best with it but with the academy, this is kind of what a lot of people thought might be the plan for better or worse last week.
0: And the only point I will make in the follow up to that, similar to what I was saying with the uh, training base story as well, you're probably going to have to pick, uh, pick out the elements of multiple stories to try and uh, put together the full picture which I know I was asking a lot of some people to Analyze and think critically, but it is possible. For instance, it sounds like the raw uh, decision was made in part because of um, a change by Football Queensland, which was the move to smaller-sided fields for the younger age group of their academy program.
1: I think under 13s now is going to be played on a smaller-sized field. Yep. To, to, to basically to try and help short-sided, small-sided games into like like smaller space, try and increase the technical ability of players to be able to play in a tighter. Area that's the logic behind it, as opposed to just having a bigger field and letting the, the ball over the top yeah. and letting the, letting the fast kid run onto it. So it's trying to increase technique of players, which is not a bad idea, but it doesn't necessarily fit the way the Raw Academy at the point times model was going. So yes, that's, why, but, that's one reason why.
0: Yeah. So putting the full story together, uh, the Raw said it was done by Football Queensland. Football Queensland said in a statement, the decision to withdraw the academy was done solely because of the Brisbane Raw. I think it's true. I My read on it is basically, yeah, Football Queensland made the change. The Raw responded to the change of their own accord. And this was the solution that all parties came to to try and sort it all out. Is it a perfect uh, situation? Hell no. But it's not necessarily just a case of the Raw abandoning youth development in Queensland. And it's also not a case of Football Queensland making some egregious mistake either. I think it is just a case of both parties trying to find the best solution for it. And with the addition of Ante kovach of he's got a pretty strong opinion on uh, youth development himself by the sounds of it. He's putting his stamp on it as well.
1: And that's what I was going to say. It's, I think they're two independent decisions. I think Football Queensland's decision regarding the under-13s is one thing. The Royals Academy decision, I think, is a complete, a different, a completely different decision. Decision. I actually think they probably would have made this decision, James, even if the under-13s hadn't changed. I think they probably would have still gone with this decision and this model of this is what we believe is is the path under Arte Kovacevic. I think they would have gone with it regardless of the change.
0: Yep, without a doubt. Um, the other two little nuggets to come out from the bottom of Marco's story as well. Uh, the Raw's admin base will be relocated to Milton across from Suncourt Stadium, where they intend to return next season permanently for home matches. That has been rumoured for a while. And it sounds like that is all but official confirmation. And uh, we, like we've been told that the only reason there were three games there this season was because of concerts and just general lack of availability. So that also means that the Raw will be back at Suncorp Stadium full-time for 23-24. And... Chris Fong has also denied claims from the Gold Coast Suns that they owe uh, $60,000 for pulling out of a deal to build a new base at Carrara. If there was an agreement and we breached the agreement, I would understand, but there's no agreement to build the new training base. So there we go. It's been an eventful week and it is going to close out this Saturday up at Morton Daily Stadium, 2pm kickoff Brisbane time. If, you don't, if you've got someone who says they don't know where it is, take the rock off their head and just point them in the right direction. Tickets I'm sure are still available and get out there because it's going to be an excellent game with the chance to see Nani in action and hopefully they're all picking up their first win of the season Scott.
1: Yes, Nani's one and only trip to Queensland for the regular season.
0: No. Actually, haven't they got, the, got haven't they aren't they playing Melbourne Victory on the uh, pre-Anzac Day game?
1: I've got that down as an away game.
0: Uh, April twenty fourth. No, that's at Suncorp Stadium. That's.
1: Is that? A, I didn't realize it was. Suncorp mistake. I apologise.
0: Suncorp Stadium's a home game. You know.
1: I, I thought that was against. Else. Never, my apologies. That's the first opportunity of two this year then to see Nani, <laughs> up here in Queensland, and it's a good opportunity. Well, given... Uh, look, its Look, it sounds like it's going to be a hot, humid day up there, in, here in Queensland. So just just be
0: glad you're not on the field in a jacket.
1: Yeah, enjoy that. Have fun with that one. But it'll be very interesting how the Victory respond to that. As well as their loss at the weekend to Melbourne City, where they were pretty comfortably outplayed for the most part in the first half, even an eleven versus an eleven. So their response to that will be very interesting. They're obviously a big club with big expectations, and they will be looking for a bounce back. For Brisbane's point of view, it's about the momentum, right? The momentum uh, they had.
0: Sorry, I what do have on? a correction. That's Sydney FC on uh, April twenty-fourth. So
1: my bad. Thank you very much. So it's the one and only chance to see Nani here in Queensland. So make, take the opportunity to see the former Premier League and Portuguese international in person, if you so wish. But in terms of victory, as I said, the, um, they're trying to bounce back from a pretty disappointing result in a derby. They will be very, very intent on getting a positive reaction to that. And for Brisbane, it's the momentum that they got in the second half against the Wanderers. Can they carry that through now into a home game in front of the home fans, where well, they probably owe the fans a performance. It's fair to say, James. The last, the last game against Melbourne City at home was, I think, by their own admission, not good enough. They probably owe the home fans one, and I think against a big, a big opponent, of, an opponent that the fan base very much likes to beat. I think the situation is that it's set up for them to do it, isn't it? In terms of the weather, the the, the momentum. I think it's there for them if they can actually bring that consistency. That's the thing. Can they bring that consistency from last week to this week? And if they can. I think they've got a good chance of getting a result purely because I think victory might melt in the weather.
0: Yeah, and if they, if they come-
1: turn up and see Nani, and the one and only chance you'll get to see him <laughs> here in Queensland this year. Yes,
0: and um, yeah, if, if they don't turn up for a game like this, then that's where you can maybe start to think about pushing the panic button. All right, that is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you very much, Scott.
1: Good talk to you again, James. Maybe we'll get Adam back next week, maybe.
0: Potenti- maybe. Potentially, but for this week, no thanks to Adam. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, however, and we'll be back. We don't
1: to- pay ransom.
0: <laughs> we will be back to recap it all next week on the Brisbane Football Review. Thanks for listening. Get out to the game on Saturday. Enjoy your weekend.